Welcome to the Kinky Cast, a sexually explicit podcast. If you are under 18 years of age, stop the podcast now. This is episode 155 of our weekly exploration in the kinky world of BDSM and alternative relationships. Views expressed are not representative of the management of the kinky cast. We welcome guests with opposing viewpoints. Today, we bring you the first of our mentor series with Sarah Olivia on Poly 202 Advanced Relationships. Here's your host, Woody. Thanks, Max, and welcome to another edition of the Kinky Cast. The Beast is not next to me today. He's off doing whatever he does. Well, I know what he does, but that's beside the point. With me is Sarah Olivia from the beautiful city of Atlanta. How are you today? I am doing spectacular. Thank you. Welcome to the cast. Uh, You had been on one of our sister casts, the Poly Podcast, like a year and a half ago. A lot of water has gone under the bridge since then. And I wanted to introduce you to our Kinky Cast audience because you really have a lot to say about relationships and poly and things like that. Mm-hmm. Let's kind of dive in. I had a question that was posed to me here recently about a young lady who is uh, looking to date. She wants to uh, get a poly lifestyle going, but one of the dates she found is very vanilla and very mono-oriented. Mm. He asked if you're dating anyone else. He says, because I don't do that. That's going to kind of short-circuit her poly life, I would say. I I would say that it's definitely a mismatch of expectations at that point. Um, He's going to have the expectation that she's not dating anyone. And and trying to change somebody's attitude about that doesn't have a lot of success rate in my experience. (laughs) Well, especially in a younger person that hasn't been exposed to poly, and especially with somebody that has some fairly firm values. And I think if, if, if those values are really firmly in place and, and they've come to the conclusion that this is their preferred style of relationship, then I would personally honor it. I'd be really sad. Um, and I might, even, I might even push just a little bit past my comfort zone and say, can you tell me why that is? Or can, can you tell me what about monogamy gives you happiness or gives you gives you strength um, and be curious about what their relationship needs are because maybe it's that they don't understand poly maybe it's they have had a bad experience not that you're trying to convert them but if you really really want to connect with that person even as a friend understanding how their relationships work is going to be beneficial to you and there's a downside to this kind of relationship. If you do choose the mono path, you're going to be shortchanging yourself in the poly world. Yeah. I think if you are truly poly, it is one of those pieces you're going to explore, whether it's physical or not. Um, and the problem I've run into is people expect monogamy to be a term that defines everything, and it doesn't. Is chatting with someone online as a friend with no sexual overtones, is that cheating? The the definitions of monogamy have to be gone over anyway, because I think as a person, I'm going to explore and have friends who are going to meet my needs, but that might not count as monogamy for the person who is very strongly against that sort of thing. Yeah, so it's kind of rules of the road. Uh, yeah. Any relationship is going to require some definition. Because otherwise, if you just let it go freeform, somebody's going to get stomped on. And that's true for monogamy and poly. I mean, it's much more true for poly because you're you're juggling more people, more dynamics, more interplay. But if you're doing a relationship, the beginning of any relationship, those questions are still valid. That is so true. Any relationship, a lot of the things that we say about poly are certainly true for plain old vanilla monogamist. There's a whole respect thing in there. If somebody lies to me and I catch them at it, there's going to be a real issue that I can not trust them in the future. Truly, truly, it's possible to cheat in poly. It's it's possible to lie. Um, none of these are good traits. 
and they they lead to issues with consent. I've heard a lot of, of words, a lot of talk about consent lately. And if you haven't negotiated in a in a kink relationship, in a poly relationship, what all of these pieces are, then somebody can't intentionally consent to that relationship and bring themselves fully to what they're doing. Um, and I find that it destroys a lot of trust that could have been preserved if you had the definitions ahead of time. Very true. Even pulling out those definitions, you know, without a, a playbook, it's hard to even uh, come up with the right ones that you need to go over. At some point, you do get surprised. And having good communication tools leading up to that, I didn't know I was going to, you know, that kissing counted as, as sex. Surprise. You know, <laughs> surprise. Well, in, in our world, I, I ran across that because we hadn't had, I hadn't had an SDI talk and I was kissing somebody. Well, that's an exchange of fluids. Mm-hmm, it is. And, and by the rules, that should have had an STI talk. And so we had to back up and say, wait a minute, we've got to think more about this. It's not just tab A slot B. Let's broaden our definitions of what sex looks like. Let's broaden our definitions of what we expect from our partners and when they need to check in. Since you brought up the word STI talk, let's throw that out for uh, some of the new listeners. So an STI talk is sexually transmitted infection. Used to be called STDs. It did, but it's not always a disease and it doesn't always stay. But it's it's anything that can be transferred from one person to another. And for me, that includes things like yeast infections, uh, herpes, uh, pregnancy. I consider pregnancy to be an STI. Yeah, I could imagine so. <laughs> Because it's that is one of the the pieces, but knowing the facts about how those happen and knowing where your boundaries are. In my world, I can kiss, but I can't have um, oral to genital contact without a barrier. It helps me to have, because I'm a little shy about these things, believe it or not, I, I do have a shy side. And so I have the STI talk about, I don't know, as early as I can. And I develop sort of an elevator speech where I say, I have been tested recently. I get tested every six months. My tests include all of the herpes tests, all of the tests for AIDS, HIV, chlamydia, syphilis, gonorrhea, everything. I make sure that my doctor gives me all of the tests. These are my results. When I take a new partner, I always get tested two months after and then six months after um, because it's my job to ensure the safety of my other partners. Um, I am fluid bonded with my husbands and no one else. And these are my expectations. But I had to write that down so that I hit all the points and then sort of memorize it. And I say it all at once so that I sort of get it out. And then don't I stop s- me here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't stop me. I got a, I got a mission. But that clears the air. And and I find that if I break the ice, then they'll respond. Um, but somebody's got to break the ice. Somebody. Somewhere. Well, if you're in a situation where there is potentially interest, then it is good to throw it out there. Because it could go downhill very quickly otherwise. And I don't want to be in the bedroom hot and heavy and my head is spinning with hormones and try and concentrate what was I supposed to do? Here, pull out your Miranda <laughs> rights here and read them. Yeah, <laughs> right. Uh-huh. No. That's that's the anti-sexy, but it is kind of sexy because you can start the conversation by saying, "I am actually so attracted to you. I really need to have this conversation ahead of time because I will lose my head, and I am totally into you." And so you can make it this sexy conversation. I think that's a good idea for a lot of things. And let's cover Polly for a second. We use the word kind of interchangeably and universally. There is poly as in many partners. There is poly as in polyamorous, which is actually loving somebody else. And obviously you have to go through dating before you can get to the loving thing. You can. Um, there's polyfidelitis, which is uh, we have multiple partners, but we are committed to and closed. There's open poly, which is more the style that I take, which is you can date whomever you would like, but I do have partners that I am prior committed to that hold more weight for me. 
I don't use the terms primary, secondary in my world because that denotes there's a first and a second and a third place. Mm -hmm. It's always hard being anything other than one. It's foundation partners. Mm -hmm. I have two husbands who are really the foundation of my world. They're my rocks. And without them, I would just crumble and fall apart. Um, but I can't really say one is primary and one is secondary. It's not in my heart how that works because they're so very different. But there's also uh, a style of poly that develops for you over time. Are you comfortable knowing all the details? Are you one of those people who needs to have just a few people and very close or distant and more of them so that you get a lot of variety? Um, and that depends on who you are as a poly person. It's very true. And um, when you start laying out all these partners, it's called a constellation. Constellation, I've heard it called molecules or polycules. Polycules, yeah. Polycules. I've heard it called um, W's, V's, H's, all the different letters. V is where one partner, ha like I, am a V. I have a husband and a second husband, but they do not have a sexual relationship, so it's an open V. It's interesting how people have sort of developed this organic language around it. And some of it is about love and some of it is about sex and relationships. And those are three different layers. For me, it's all together. If I love you and I have sex with you, that's all one piece. But I don't typically have a lot of sex without the love aspect because it's not me. Well, it's, it's a richer experience. For me, it is. For a lot of people. Me too. For a lot of people, it is. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's that aspect for me of trust that develops over time. I've had people ask me, you do poly, you must have tons of lovers. And I'm like, well, I take about one new lover a year because I move slow. That's not true for everybody in my world and it's not true for the people I date. But I learned over time that the only person that I set rules for are me. And it's my job to make me happy. So what makes you happy? What, you know, if you and your partner agree to it has to involve love or it can't involve love, then how do you know when that's going to happen? Some people lay it out as love is a deal breaker. You know, if you fall in love with someone else, there's a problem. If you fall in love, then we're done. Mm -hmm. How do you tell the heart to do that right. or yeah, not do that? You have these big concrete boundaries or something. I, I don't know. I've, I've never been able to make that work. I've never been able to make that work, and, and sometimes my heart surprises me. There mm -hmm. are people in my world, and I look at them very honestly and say, you were not actually what I put on the, the application. I love you intensely, but this is, this is strange to me. My heart wants something I don't understand. Maybe it knows more than I do. I, you know. The heart and the head don't always travel in the same circles. No, and truly, we can love people that are bad for us even in the poly world, and we can want relationships that are going to be devastating or are going to be codependent. And those are pieces that over time, if you, if you can recognize, all right, somebody who is this strong-willed or somebody who's financially um, maybe a little different than I am, we're not going to mesh well because over time I'm going to build resentment. Or, you know, it's not, you have to have some strength to end relationships that aren't healthy. Right. which is one of the pieces of poly that's really hard because we have this idea that relationships start, they grow, you get married, you have children, you grow old together. Well, if there are 16 of you, that's not going to happen. Yep. And so now you have to redefine all of it. But I don't think we're all going to be the same 16 people at the end of this. It's a, an unpopular word called churn, where some of the ones go out for recycling because they're not compatible and the new ones come in. Mm -hmm. And if you look at it as, as people come in and they make a mark on your life, and I've heard it, what is it? It's some, some are for a day, some are for a lifetime. Mm -hmm. And that, that philosophy does better with poly and friendships in general. A reason, a season, a lifetime. Yes, a reason, mm -hmm. a season, a lifetime. And that gift, if you can accept it, and then we need skills to sort of let go to sort of keep moving in our direction and not hold on to these vines and stay still. We can't seize a moment and, and be there. I had a period of my life where I had two or three lovers who were, oh my gosh, just sparkled the world for me. And then 
they had children and, and I was about to have a child and we had this golden summer of eating bacon and laying in hammocks. And I mean, it really was sort of idyllic, but it ended. And mm-hmm. I spent a time period very mad at the world that I didn't have that. And the reason was we were different. And what's changed is not wrong. It's just different. So now I have a different relationship with those people. They're not gone, but I'm no longer eating bacon. My cardiologist says that's a bad plan. You know, it's <laughs> the kids are grown up. So some of that has changed. My needs have changed. Take a 20-year-old couple that marries or moves in on a, quote, permanent basis. Mm-hmm. They get up to 40 years old and after children have been raised and all those different things happen – then they're not quite the same people they were back at 20, and they want different things. And so that's when we see a divergence of path. And many times that's where divorces come in and what have you. You know, you can look at the statistics, and there's a lot of bad statistics for these types of marriages. I I certainly am one of them. But Mm -hmm. on the same token, I have very successful poly relationships running because it's meeting the needs of each player. Those are the kind of poly relationships that I call dynamic. When they can adjust to, they can adjust with. And there are checkpoints along the way where you say, okay, I no longer need to be strapped to the cross. Um, what I need is is little play or what I need is once a week dates when what I wanted before was fly by night or what's the word I'm looking for? Spontaneous. That's the word I'm looking for. See, you have all my words today. <laughs> you have all of them. We must be in the same sink here, you know. There we go. There it is. It's, it's got dirty dishes if it's at my house. That's it. So there's this desire, this, this ideal of having a relationship that has a direction. And then if we have dynamic poly or dynamic relationships, we have to be able to input information in order to change it which brings in the communication aspect. Because if we don't stop and self-evaluate and say, wait a minute, I'm actually struggling or unhappy or my brow is furrowed because this is not quite right and have the conversation when it's not quite right before it gets to screw you, I'm going home. You used the word resentment earlier and it is one of the things that is going to start to fester and and turn ugly when you mentioned money issues and things like that, or maybe house cleaning, the way you keep a house versus the way somebody else keeps a house. Little things that will start to eat at you, and they start to erode the relationship, and they will build and build and build and over time, and then all of a sudden the wall falls down. And it, it is surprising the things that set you off. It is. In one of my relationships, he had an office. I did not get to see the office until three or four months he'd been there. And I realized he had a plant that one of his other lovers had given him. But there was nothing on his desk for me. No picture, no nothing. And I was like, and now I'm hurt. Mm-hmm. It's a plant. This is, this is ridiculous. But what it is is it's, it crystallizes that moment um, for you and to be able to express it in the terms of I am, I need, I feel, and not say you're being disrespectful. Those are sort of key communication pieces where you can open up the language instead of shutting it down. And for new people coming into poly, that's that's huge. To be able to open that language and own your own feelings without making it somebody else's responsibility or fault. But knowing what you're feeling is the first key. Like we have to back up. Um, I always say the best poly people are those who've been in therapy the longest because we spend so much time expressing what we feel, struggling to express it, chewing on it until we can get the right words. When you speak it and your ears hear it, all of a sudden you go, that's it. I was thinking about it, but now I heard myself say it. And then all of a sudden it has a different importance. And if you say it once and you screw it up in front of somebody, then you have hurt feelings. Then you have, you can damage relationships that way. Whereas knowing, hearing yourself say it beforehand, writing it down or, 
you know, talking with a friend, always have somebody outside the relationship you can talk to. Essential for new poly, crucial for long-term poly. Because the closer in your circle gets, the fewer people you feel like you can talk to because there's still a little stigma. Well, it's kind of the disinterested third party. Yeah. And you use them as a sounding board to find out, does this sound right? Does this sound stupid? Uh, you know, am I right. insulting something? And mm-hmm. that way you do get the test. And then when you lay it out, hopefully you do it as a professional announcer. <laughs> a professional announcer. Well, and you lay it out with some some ownership. And I think that that brings calm to the situation. Because if you're wrapped up in an emotional situation, you can say an awful lot of things that you don't really want to say. You get too close to things. People get too close to it. All of a sudden, there's things that I don't want to say because I know it's a trigger for them. Right. And so then I'll steer away from a subject. In fact, that subject needs to be discussed. But I know it's a trigger and I don't want to discuss it. We avoid things that are uncomfortable. It's, mm-hmm. it's a habit. But uh, growth is painful. It can be uncomfortable. The trick is how do you keep it from becoming damaging? Uncomfortable is okay. Damaging, painful is not. And one of the biggest tricks is the I statements and slow it down. Slow those conversations down. Don't talk over each other. Act like you're on a podcast. You can only talk one at a time. But finish your statement and then count to three before somebody else starts to speak because you need to let that sink in. We spend an awful lot of time planning how to talk and very little time listening without expectation that we're going to respond. And that is incredibly hard habit to break because we have spent an entire lifetime anticipating what other people are going to want us to say. Our teachers want answers. Our parents want answers. There's a one-upsmanship that goes on with that. You start to say something, and then I'll think of something that can top it. Now, I, I'm not really listening too much to what you're saying. You, you gave me a couple keywords, and I'm going after them in my memory, and I'm not listening to you anymore. Yep. This is what goes on every day in every way in, in communication or lack of communication. And what you said there is, you know, you state your words, you stop for three seconds. Mm-hmm. It soaks in. The words have some meaning. And then think about it before you respond and see if it still has pertinence to the conversation or are we just going off on a tangent? It's hard to be honest with yourself in that moment. Oh, yeah, well, what I was going to say is still relevant. No, you really need to ask that question. Um, and I spent, I, I nearly killed my marriage. Somewhere around year year 12, I nearly killed it because the two of us were locked in this running over each other thing. Um, part of it was if you can take what that person just said and sum it up, what I hear you saying is you are hurt. What I hear you saying is you are anxious. Is that true? Then what you can do is is confirm with the other person that you're hearing them correctly. It's a test. It's make, a test. To make sure that the communication is actually occurring. Because once you've confirmed that feeling, the other person knows they've been heard. And once they've been heard, then you can jump in and say what you need to say. But I guarantee you by about that point, knowing how the other person is experiencing this is going to change or modify how you say the next thing. That is so true. And don't be afraid to say, no, that's not what I said. Yes, because this is the time to do it. If they check with you and you agree to it, then the misunderstanding starts with you. Right. You own it. You, 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 you own this one. Yeah. You know, Merry Christmas. Do not lie. This is your chance. It is an incredibly hard thing to do. It is so awkward, so incredibly awkward. And you can't do it in the middle of a party. You can't do it in uh, Thanksgiving dinner. Those are not the time to have deep conversations. But learning when you've not done the dishes to have a conversation like that and then using that skill later, the conversations get shorter and shorter. New poly, there's an awful lot of skills. You are trying so much, you can get exhausted trying to use all these skills. But in experienced or, or poly 202, 
what you're doing is you're now refining things. You can take the hour and a half conversation and make it 15 minutes. You can do things in text or in, in a chat that you would never have done before in a text environment because you need that personal interaction. So there's some experience that gives you trust and knowledge with advanced poly that you don't have in beginning poly. You said something that's really important there about text. In early days, do not text your feelings because your feelings do not come across in text. Text is less than two-dimensional. Um, it really is so incredibly painful um, to watch these conversations go sideways. And I've been doing this a very, very long time. I would hate to admit how long. And I still screw it up because I get upset and I want an answer now. The text will trip you up because of your word usage, because you can't say all of it, because you can't manage to convey eye expressions and stressful uh, tone of voice. Emotion. Emotion. You ask for a conversation, tell them I'm upset about blah, but I don't want to talk in text. Because saying I need to talk to you without giving them a clue is kind of like being called to the principal's office and less than helpful. <laughs> it's more likely. Everything goes through up. your mind. It's, oh my God, what did I do? Yes. And, and it, they, I used to say I'm not creative unless I've screwed up. And then I'm incredibly creative. <laughs> Trying to figure your way out. Yes. What did I do? How can I make it right? How, how do I fix this? Oh, I can, I can come up with an awful lot of things I do wrong. The real binary answer to this, simple ones and zeros, don't screw up, then you never have to uh, find oh, your way that, out. That, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, it's, you know, it's so simple. <laughs> it is simple. I don't know why people can't figure that out. <laughs> but one of the things that will get us all in trouble is that little white lie. Oh. Where did you go? Well, what did you do? Was somebody with you? Yeah. You didn't say you were going with somebody. All those things will bite you in the ass. The, the white lies and the... Well, I, I wasn't going to tell you because I didn't want to hurt your feelings. Ooh, bam. <laughs> That's when the trap slams shut there. Yes. Um, if you are worried about hiding it, don't do it. Exactly. Like, like right there. It sounds yeah. clear. It sounds so simple. But if you think, oh, I just shouldn't tell them, don't do it. Mm -hmm. Because there's little things that happen like you're seen in public by mutual friends. There's... Somebody has a mouth on them. Somebody has text on them. Oh, God. Oh, gosh. Pictures. If you are in the background of somebody's Instagram, mm -hmm. life gets crazy. And and sometimes it is not malicious. It's just, oh, I got to see so-and-so out. It's so good that he's getting to date. What? He was doing what? And there's this, I don't know. And now what else do I not know mm -hmm. that comes up? Just don't do it. The mind will go off in a ditch really easily if you give it a, just not enough information to really process. It, it'll go crazy. And uh, God knows I've done this too many times. and I don't but do it, it anymore. <laughs> I try, but I will say that habits are really difficult to break. And it, even if I think I've been honest and open, I didn't know that that was going to set you off. I didn't know that I hadn't told you because maybe I told three other people. I just forgot to get it to you. Um, and so assuming that the other person is always positively intent intended is one of the places that I have to start. It doesn't mean I don't have hurt feelings, but it means that I approach them in a much more um, engaging way rather than oppositional the word assume that you used, we all know what that means. It makes a right. mess out of you and me too. The situation is that I will assume that somebody knows X amount and then I throw in a simple sentence and people mm -hmm. go, well, what's that all about? Well, I just assume they knew all about it. Well, yeah. all of a sudden then trust starts to buckle and things go off in different directions. You got to pull that back. Don't assume anybody knows anything mm -hmm. about somebody else's affairs. This is my chance to say a few words. We are in a lifestyle that likes to be kept anonymous. We don't tell stories about other people because 
it's going to get them and you in trouble. And especially if you text it to somebody, it then takes on a life of its own. And I have seen people's lives ruined by this. It is amazing how a few little characters on a screen can go amiss. And if nothing else, if you live in a dual world where you have pieces that don't intersect, you need to be very clear about what it is okay to say and do in text and what it is not okay. Because I'm I'm the worst. I say it in the wrong chat window. Yep. And once I've done it, you can't undo it. The internet is unforgiving. No, no. <laughs> so that's the deep, dark part of texting and sharing the world. Um, if you're not completely open with who you are and your partners, then you're going to run into trouble. But you can negotiate the quieter, the hidden, I don't know, maintaining the self aspect of your of your poly and kink world with some integrity where you know what you can say, you know what's safe to say. But I try not to talk about other people. Talking about other people is full of landmines, and so stay away from it. In my situation, I separate the biological family from my kink family. They know who each other are, but they don't know what their roles are. Mm -hmm. And I wish to keep it that way. And um, someday they may find out. Someday there may be a huge lightning storm directly over the house, but... But that will have to happen at the time. In your world, how does that work? In my world, there's a, a fair amount of autonomy where each person decides what their bio family gets to know. And individually, we have chosen very different things. My mother uh, and stepdad do not know, but they could find out if they wanted to. Um, since I have published books about all sorts of sideline stuff plausible um, deniability <laughs> yes so i uh, i let them choose their own ignorance at that point one of my guys he told his parents and they were like yay welcome to the family uh, <laughs> which was interesting my in-laws took me to one of my first kink conventions interesting definitely not what my southern upbringing taught me to to expect um, Thanksgiving dinner, yes. Kink family, no. And the other, one of my other guys hasn't told his family at all. And it leaves me with a feeling of, I really wish I could be legitimate or I wish I could share that portion of their life, but it's his choice. And I keep my life out of my son's world because I have a son who's not full grown yet. And I don't want my choices and my world to influence his life at school. I, I think he deserves the right to establish himself as an individual without the social cost of my life. Society is not going to think of us very well either. You know, if he were to say something at school about his um, interesting family, because that could go horribly wrong. It could, and it has to some degree. He chose to say, I'm Polly. And rumors started, you know, teens will talk, but he did that on his own. And that's big for me is what is comfortable for you? Because I care that my partners have comfort and success in all of their their world. And if they think having me come to the office Christmas party is a bad plan, then I don't go. I still have hurt feelings and we still talk about those feelings, but I'm not going to, to press that. Well, we are strangers in a vanilla mono world. There are some dictates that just say we don't get to play. And there are some dictates that I just choose to ignore. A lot of times, you know, I the people who are important in my son's world show up at school and I simply don't explain them. Right. And that's fine. They're, fri that, they're friends with yeah, air they're quotes. Friends. Mm -hmm. You know, friends with air quotes or they're, they're people who have the legal right to check him out of school. But I don't really have to give them any explanation or relationship past that. And I choose that legal protection carefully by knowing the rules. In that case, it's just a well-lubricated machine and everybody knows their rules and off they go. And a lot of step-parents and, you know, my step-parents raising me, my grandparents are raising me. Mm -hmm. we, we just sort of fall under that, that umbrella and I'm happy to do that because who's in my bedroom is no more their business than it is my son's business. Right. And that is an important thing. The friendship aspect of this, you know, if we take the 
quote, partners, the lovers, all that out of it. And the bottom line, we're all friends. And certainly uh, I've had my whole biological and kink family, poly family, at one table at Thanksgiving dinner. But they did not know anybody's roles. Mm-hmm. Each half of the family knew what their roles were, <laughs> but not homogenous. Well, it's your relationship to define. Right. There doesn't need to be a chart on the wall. Here's how we relate to each other. Mine would be a whiteboard with lots of colors, very fluid. I want to go back to the concept of poly 202 and the difference because it is easier to be discovered or to be outed if you are poly longer. Because if somebody comes over once every six months when they're driving through town, that's one thing. If your poly is at a convention or outside the house, that's another thing. But when people become integrated into your life, you are more likely to be outed, discovered. People are more likely to put two and two together if you go to the same hot dog restaurant with both of your lovers. Not that that's happened but it did happen. It has happened to me. <laughs> it happened. The waitress gave me a funny look yesterday, by the way. <laughs> mine, uh, the owner's a friend of mine, and she said, wait a minute. I have to know what's going on. And if they ask me straight out, I'm going to tell them. Mm -hmm. But I, I try not to have that happen because not everybody wants the answer to their questions. There are some dangers with long-term poly that you don't have in new poly, and that's – being discovered becomes more and more tricky. Uh, it can happen more and more often. Your boundaries are going to change. And if you don't set check-in times, you're not going to know that those things need to be evaluated. It's like when you do your taxes, you look at your finances. Well, when do you emotionally do your taxes? When do you emotionally figure out the balance of things? So is it on your anniversary? Is it randomly... Do you do it when you feel like? Whatever it is, please intentionally make a choice to do a check-in, at least with yourself. And then don't make assumptions because you can not make those check-ins and grow complacent. Oh, well, my husband hates Thai food. Well, you know, that's, that's just a fact. Well, in 19 years, he's changed his taste buds two or three times. And now he loves Thai and I don't know that. And I'm missing an opportunity in that relationship to not know that about him. So making assumptions is going to be very detrimental to us at that point. How true. <laughs> Where do we want to go from now? I had listed a whole bunch of stuff and some of it is about monoprivilege and conversations. Monoprivilege. I'm curious. Monoprivilege is the idea that relationships where there are is a monogamous connection are privileged over other types of relationships. So, for instance, one of my husbands is legally married to me. That gives him a privilege. Our relationship has more weight and more time than other relationships. Things like when you go to a restaurant, you're likely to have seats for two or four which is the standard American family, two adults, two kids, um, rather than those corner seats where you can fit more than four people or five people if you have a fifth. So if you have a polycule that is not four people, you're going to have trouble getting seated. Um, typically, that kind of thing is very... Woven in uh, the forms on school checkout lists who can check you out. There's typically only two people listing more. Having more is a challenge in very small ways every day in the hospital computers. They can't list more than one partner. They just don't have the technology for it. Um, you don't fit in their in their circle. Well, society has said this is the way it is for so many years. Everything followed on behind it. And then you start looking at your relationships. Mono, it is successful if you are married and it's lasted a long time. So what about a poly relationship that lasts for one year while you're living abroad and it is deep and it is rich and it changes who you are and how you see the world and it is absolutely beautiful? 
but it ends when you have to come back to your home country. Why is that a failed relationship? Because it was only a year. Looking at what you got in your world and not giving it monogamy as the best thing ever. That's true in TV. Monoprivilege shows up in TV because it's the only kind of relationship that they typically represent. The list of poly movies is very short. (laughs) Some are really good. Some are really bad. (laughs) And there's sort of a, a sense of what are we doing and redefining that that I find is helpful for long-term poly. What are we doing together? We, we have joint goals and we have individual goals. In monogamous relationships, we're encouraged to become sort of homogeneous. We, we, we become like our, our spouse. You know, you've seen the couple where they've both spread a little and they're a little wider and they're both sort of the same color, the same pasty white or the same brown or whatever. And their pets match them. And their pets match And that doesn't work as well in a poly world because in the, in the poly world, you can't do that because your partners are likely to be very different. Um, and I think this is an excellent time for poly to inspire relationships because I don't see being, uh, the same as your partner as a benefit. You have less to argue about maybe. But you also don't bring as much to the table. They were originally attracted to who you are, not who you reflect in them. Learning to be an individual, having that skill as a poly person, um, makes your relationships more alive, more challenging, different. You, you have more differences, so you need to negotiate differences with other people more often, you know, somewhere along the way, you develop these great skills of being in conflict and not losing your your mind over it. And that's an excellent thing to have. Conflict management is always a good skill to have. And part of that is knowing what is the problem um, and putting the problem outside of you. It's not my problem. It's not your problem. It's ours. If we want a relationship, then we have to negotiate how this looks. Putting both of you looking at the problem as an outside thing puts you on the same side instead of putting you in opposition. And that skill can be transferred to everywhere else in your life. One observation I've made about poly relationships, there are no two that are ever alike. You go and you find somebody and you explore this facet of who you are with them. Mm -hmm. And with another person, it's a whole different set of facets with them. And so it's like, a richer environment mm-hmm. for, for myself, for instance. It's, it's much richer. It's much richer for me, but it's also hard it is. Um, for me because then I look, you know, when my, my husband has very different kinds of dates with other people, I go, well, wait a minute. What if I wanted some of that? Is it because I'm less? And that's where I'm comparing myself and I'm comparing his other relationship to my relationship. And that's dangerous. <laughs> that is it's very dangerous, yeah. A place to fall down and, and hit your head. And that's where the green eyed monster appears. Ooh. Yes. The green eyed monster who stomps around telling us that we are less than and that we are not worthy and all of the things that are just simply flat out not true. Worth is not determined by any of those things. But I can't help but wonder and envy that spark. You know, he's very excited about this other date. Um, he's very excited about going to eat Thai with, with someone else. Well, I don't want to eat Thai food. Your whole relationship, you've said no, no, no. So <laughs> My whole relationship, yeah. I've said no, no, no. And now I want to eat Thai food. Well, it's not that I really want to eat Thai food. It's that I want that excitement. And once you understand that it's that want, it's that need, and you can define that, then you can ask for what you want and you're more likely to get it and get it your way. Because even though he's very excited about eating Thai food over there, learning to do uh, DSLR photography or learning to do um, something with you that is very different that that other person isn't going to do is spectacular and will bring that spark for you. So building that spark on your own is a much healthier way of developing the relationship then looking outside of yourself and squashing somebody else's relationship. Difficult. 
if those worries weigh on you. Um, and that's where having an outside person to worry with and talk it through and then bring it back in a very um, sort of summarized package. Let's not go through all of our issues. Let's just deal with the one. How true. <laughs> the other part of the green-eyed monster is that one that's called time envy. Oh, yeah. Time was one of the things that I wanted to mention because it is it is the currency of Polly, where you only have so much of it. And if you don't feel complete with your interactions with somebody, that's the place where you're going to start with, I don't get dates or you're texting with her, but I don't ever get to text with you. Um, why are you spending so much time over at their house? There's really only one Christmas day. There's really only one year that you're going to turn 40. If your anniversaries coincide, I'm really sorry. <laughs> I can't imagine trying to, to arrange that one. But I do hold anniversaries. I do mark time with other people uh, than, than just my primary foundation relationships. But I can't emphasize enough how much it is, is important to look at your time as a resource and you've got to allow time for everybody and yourself. So there are some pieces here that are really crucial. You have one pie of time. And in your pie of time, you need something to sustain you. So do not quit going to Taekwondo just because you need that night for a date. Because in the end, you will need that Taekwondo to refresh yourself, to fill you back up, to bring that wonder back to your relationships. But Maybe maybe you don't need a big slice of pie. Maybe one of my partners is in crisis and he needs a lot more of my time. And the other partner, he's doing just fine. He's floating along. He's cool. He only needs a little sliver of pie. It's not necessarily equal. Everybody's not going to get the same pie, the same slice. Their slice is going to be determined by what I have to give and what our relationship needs and what they need. And sometimes I might give a little more than I might otherwise because I see a need, but that's a choice. And it's a choice that is intentional and healing. So you can't, you can't look at your pie and come up with more time. You just can't. Um, it's the thing that limits the most, but it doesn't limit the fact that I love everybody. So the central tool for a poly relationship is a calendar. <laughs> yes. Google Calendar is your friend. And Any calendar is your friend. <laughs> yes, all calendars, yes. And make sure they're synchronized, otherwise you're really screwed. And make sure that you put them on the right one. If you have a filter that is all for dates or all for this, um, some of my partners don't want to see it. So I set it on private and then they just know that I'm busy those nights. Let's talk about that briefly. Some partners want to know all the dirty details of what's going on. And some don't just kind of hold their hands over their ears and go, nah, 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 nah. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Don't tell me. Yeah. It's, it's too much. It's, in my world, we, we say it's too much. Sum up. Okay. Because they're, for whatever reason, whether it's jealousy or, or time or they just don't care. Um, one of my partners, he says it, but it's, it really is not as callous as it sounds. He doesn't care the actual actions. Am I happy? That's really his, his takeaway is, am I happy with what's going on? Then great. He doesn't need or want the details and has told me, just don't, just tell me where you're going and that you're safe. Because he has a lot going on in his world and he doesn't keep those details. And if I tell him, he thinks he has to keep track of it. And that's anxiety producing for him. So we've negotiated that, hey, I'm going on a date tonight. Cool. Where are you going? Well, I'm going downtown. Then he knows when to expect me. He knows some basics. Those are safety precautions that we put in place so that I'm never out and nobody knows where I am. Have a good time and... On it goes. Have a good time. Play safe. Play fun. Let's, you know, check in later. But one of my partners, he's good with let's hear all the details and 
I have a girlfriend who will who will get me dressed up and text me things during my date if she wants to to encourage me. So their level of interaction is determined by what they're comfortable with. I like to share, so it's kind of uncomfortable not to. Mm-hmm. And I had to get used to no, this is really what is okay for them, and that took that took time. That's part of the check-in also to mm-hmm. find out if they now have a need for more or less information. And that can change depending on a lot of different stuff. Um, when I was pregnant, I was very clingy. Now, not so much. Um, it depends on time of life and time of day, uh, what else is going on in my world and the only way you're going to know what's going on in somebody else's head is to ask. You know, the the laughing joke around here is, what are you thinking? And the other person is, I'm thinking I was watching a TV show until you started talking. Um, <laughs> it's not always, it's not always deep thought, too. Sometimes you, you just haven't noticed. And you don't know until you've done that check-in. How true. Sarah? It is just an absolute pleasure to talk to you, and we've covered a lot of ground today. And we're going to have to do this again sometime because this is just fun stuff. I would love to. I have so many things that are very crucial for people, and and one of them is be true to yourself. And I think that's helpful in all of this. And honest is not always truthful. That is so true. If you shortchange yourself, you're going to regret it. You are going to regret it. Know yourself and know how to speak up. All right, Sarah. We'll talk to you soon. I appreciate it. Have a good one. Thank you so much for having me online. You have been listening to episode 155 of the Kinky Cast. For more information about this show, go to kinkycast.com. The Kinky Cast is a production of Rooster in the Round. On behalf of all our Kinky crew, I'm Max. See you next week when we bring you D20 Dom on BDSM 101. What do I do next?